Welcome to Threads of Enlightenment, your journey into personal growth. The splendor of any decision is after you've made it, all that remains to be seen are its consequences. My name is Ken Primus. I am your host. Here at Threads of Enlightenment, we talk about the principles of self-development and personal growth. By having conversation with people, who have walked through their journey of personal growth. We believe that everyone at some point in their life will have to deal with one or more of these principles to have the privilege of focusing on their self-development as humans. These principles, when applied, can help you to become the best self possible. We'll celebrate. That's right. <laughs> welcome to another episode of Threads of Enlightenment. As usual, I first want to welcome our guests because I know, I believe that they're coming with a couple of things that I deem very important, and I want to take the time to thank them for that first time. Time to me is very precious. It is a commodity that uh, many of us misuse, but when we understand the value of it, the purpose of time, and we know how to use it to assist us to become the best person that we are. It changes everything that we do. And I know the value of that. And I want to thank you, Joe, for coming and spending some of that expensive stuff with us. The other is your journey. That journey is housed with much pain, much sorrow, much victory, power, strength, knowledge, insight, all of it that is you and you're here to share it with us so that we, the listener, can learn and become better human spirits while we occupy this beautiful little place called Earth and so that we can become the better human spirits while we're here. Joe, thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ken. And, and someone who's always on the other side of the microphone, I'm always honored when anyone invites me to be on their podcast or show because for many, for basically my entire adult life, I've been chasing after people to appear on any of the programs I've worked on. So I know the kind of uh, time it takes to do these kind of things. So I appreciate you giving me the platform to talk about me, my book, the stuff I'm doing. So thank you very much, Ken. It is a pleasure, man. I cannot wait to hear your story, Joe. Joe, I always tell people that we are creators, man. And I mentioned it a little to you and my audience know I've been saying this for two years. Creators create by way we process our thoughts. Uh, that is the seed that enter into the human being. And we then collectively, uh, we take our thoughts and we bring it into habits and all of those different things. But the process, um, we want to know all of that stuff about you, what you have created as a result of your journey. Tell us about the book. Tell us um, uh, all of those different things and by way yeah. how, how they can reach you after this. Great. Well, Ken, so my story is I've lived a very linear life, but it kind of happened quite accidental. So as a kid, I was a big fan of TV and movies. I was an 80s kid, so there was no internet. You know, everything you consume was either watching a television show or going to the movie theater or reading a magazine or newspaper. So I was just obsessed with pop culture and I wanted to have a career in it somehow. And my, my heroes in those days were like David Letterman, who was a big talk show host mm -hmm. in the United States of America yep. for many, many years. He hosted two late night shows for many, many years, like 20 something years. This guy yeah. was on late night television 
And for most people my age, all of my friends and people I knew, they idolize sports stars and movie stars. But to me, I idolized David Letterman because he was this yeah. guy who was doing a talk show where he was breaking all the rules. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. the staid, classy talk show host who would gush over celebrities. Like he was open and honest. He he really influenced my comedy in terms of the, his use of irony. I just loved ironic humor. And so that influenced me to sort of pursue that kind of career. Uh, but as a kid growing up in the suburbs of New Jersey, uh, son of immigrant parents, uh, my father was a ship mechanic from Spain. My mother was a Cuban refugee. I didn't have like what some would say a privileged life to be able to just get a job in show business. Like we didn't mm-hmm. have any contacts or know anyone like that. So uh, one of the local colleges was known for having a communication program. So they had just built like this at the time, state of the art uh, television and radio, basically building where they would teach classes and teach kids how to become broadcasters. So my first day on campus, I go down to the television studio and I'm like, hey, I want to be on TV. And they're like, oh, well, we don't let freshmen on TV. You have to work behind the scenes. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go down the hall and I go to the radio station. I go, hey, I want to be on the radio. <laughs> and the guy goes, what time you want to go on? And just <laughs> like that, I sort of fell into a career in radio because they just didn't care who went on. Um, <laughs> so I started. And at the time, Ken, I would say I was a fan of radio, but it wasn't like my number one medium. Like, like yeah. I said, television was kind of like my, my baby. But as I started working in radio, working, I was working on a college radio station. I had this epiphany and I guess I had the wherewithal. Then looking back now, I was like, wow, that was a really smart decision that I made. So I said, you know what? I've been doing this for like over a year. I should see if I can get an internship at a real radio station in New York City, the number one media mark in the world, and see mm-hmm. if I enjoy this thing that I'm doing. And yeah. which is something like most young people don't do that I, I learned later on. Like they'll wait till like they'll get an internship in their junior or senior, or, you know, third or fourth years in college. And I did it in my second year. So I applied to this radio station in Midtown Manhattan called WPLJ. Heritage Radio Station was a rock station, became a pop station, was there for 40-something years. And um, the reason I took this internship, Ken, was I was this scared little white kid from New Jersey. And the idea of going into Midtown Manhattan by myself was incredibly (laughs) intimidating. At the time, I was 19 years old, and so I was like, man, I don't know if I can go in the city and then take a subway. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, but the great thing about this radio station, Ken, was that it was located in above Penn Station in Midtown Manhattan, which for, nice. folks, not out, for folks outside the New York metropolitan area, it's basically the major transit hub in the middle mm-hmm. of New York City where basically you can take a train from anywhere in the tri-state area and it will yeah. take you to this specific location. Yeah. So, again, as a scared little <laughs> white kid, the idea of being able to take one train into Midtown Manhattan and take this internship was perfect for me. So yeah. ended up interning there. And within a few months, I sort of started impressing upon the leadership there. And they thought that I had a future in this business. And so after my internship wrapped up, they said, hey, listen, we have this opening in our promotion department, which is basically the people you see driving around radio station vans, handing out T-shirts. Mm-hmm. We have this opening, but we need to fill it fast. But here's the thing. It's a full-time job. So you'd have to leave school to take this job. And at the time, I was like, 
man, I don't love school all that much, but I really <laughs> love working at this radio station. Yeah. So I ended up taking a job there, working in promotions, and then spent the next 24 years in that building, working wow. my way up through the company, being part of the morning show, executive producing the morning show, and by the end, co-hosting the morning show. All because, Ken, mm-hmm. I was this aforementioned scared white kid from New Jersey who, did, <laughs> who, out of convenience, took this internship at WPLJ and spent the majority of my adult life there learning to be a better communicator, learning to be a professional broadcaster, and learning to be a grown-up. Because mm-hmm. I was when I my first day on the job, I was twenty years old, and I spent yeah. the next twenty four years there. So my formative years and the person I became was all because of my time I spent with the talented individuals and some all time great broadcasters for the next twenty four years. Wow, that's uh, impressive. Uh, talk to me, take me back a little more before that, because I am also parent of um, immigrants and so forth. So I want to delve in a little because my my brothers and sisters we have this conversation about immigrants and when we come to the country and how we assimilate in and Mm -hmm. i've done a lot of conversation with others that are also immigrants and the assimilation piece joe um for some can be a difficult transition if you will um getting into it trying to uh fit in how was it with your household with such uh, um, diverse backgrounds of your parents, how did that um, uh, that household? How did you manage? How did you grow in that space as a young man? And I know that in there you mentioned that TV was a big part of your upbringing. But how did you yeah. manage yourself within that space? Well, Ken, I don't need to tell you this, but many immigrants have this incredible work ethic gene that they'll do whatever it takes to succeed. And so that was ingrained in me from birth. So Mm -hmm. I think the idea that my parents, and this is sort of like the attitude I have even now working like this, a white collar job producing podcasts. It's, and I, and I always joke, I, I, I take a blue collar approach to a white collar job that you just work your ass off and do yeah. whatever it takes to succeed and to provide. So yeah. the assimilation piece, Ken, my parents did whatever it took to provide for their two sons. So mm-hmm. my dad worked as a ship mechanic, just worked his ass off. He would come home like just exhausted, come and just pass out on the couch. My mother would work office jobs and ended up getting like certification so she could be like a customer service representative. And so to me, when, when it comes to that assimilation part of it, it just basically, for my family, it was like, like just do whatever it takes yeah. to succeed and provide. And w- if that means to speak English all the time, and that's really what happened in my, in my family. My family yeah. was, English was a second language for everyone in my family, except for me and my brother. But my parents knew the importance of being able to speak English. And yeah. so by the time my brother and I were, you know, prepubescent, you know, teenagers, we were speaking English exclusively in the home. And so, and not that we were forgetting our roots, but it was Mm -hmm. the fact that my parents knew that for my brother and I to succeed, we needed to be able to communicate in English. My Spanish right now, Ken, I will say is pretty terrible. So whenever (laughs) I try to speak Spanish to someone, it's kind of embarrassing. My mother kind of like really gives me, uh, gives me crap for that. But, uh, but I will say, 
we didn't really forget that piece of where we came from, but it just was this attitude of this, just do whatever it takes. And so yes. that's basically what we did. So if it took for us to having to communicate in English exclusively with people, that's what it took. And my yeah. parents were just like, at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, in speaking to several people, that piece of uh, coming in and all of them, especially as you mentioned, they have this trait that it comes from birth of just pushing and pushing and pushing beyond pushing. And yeah. um, it is something valuable. Um, my uh, brother and I, we were talking about that. I was telling you, we had a conversation a few things a few days ago, and we were talking about um, immigrants coming from different countries. We were actually talking about people walking through deserts and so forth. And it's a shame that we don't see the value within that, the determination, the stuff that makes someone ticks. A person like that will never be satisfied, quote unquote, being on the system and relying on the system. That type yeah. of tenacity is has nothing in their mind the system is not what they're there for. They're for something else. And um, how it's a shame we don't recognize the value of that. We were talking about that. Oh, absolutely. Ken, it's so days. funny because, I, you know, as, as the Western world has sort of had this bit of it, and again, without getting without getting too political here, yeah, this yeah. sort of anti-immigrant. Yes. You know, it's, it's sort I get, of like. I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's, 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 it's there in, in the Western world. Yeah. And the piece you're talking about, Ken, the fact that like these people come from wherever they come from and they'll do whatever it takes to work their asses off and succeed. I think that's the missing part that people don't realize. It's yes. these people that are coming to your Western civilization are going to do whatever it takes to provide for their family. Yes. They're going to work 10 times harder to, to the person that's already been there. It's just yes. ingrained in their soul. So I wish yeah. people would understand that, that they, it's like, you know, there's this anti-immigrant sentiment of like, they want to take our jobs. No, they're going to take the jobs that people don't want here. Yes. And they're uh -huh. going to take those jobs yes. and they are going to do them to 110%. Yes. Yes. So I, you know, again, without getting too political, that's, I think that's an important piece that people miss out on when they talk about immigration in the Western world. Yeah, I think they, they miss the key value of what that human being is capable of to not yeah. many people joe can even come through that journey to get here yeah. uh we haven't heard those stories of those folks that didn't make it but you know yeah. here you are this uh person gained this particular um tenacity and you can see it from the intro of your story and that it gives us a certain boldness that i felt that some people don't have because of our background of being immigrants, where mm. nothing is um, off limits in the sense that you can do anything you want. And because that's what my father, my, my, my mom had instilled in us. There is no limit when you came here. You can actually do anything. And because you can do anything, just do it. And so I find myself like you. I went and I did things that other people would ask me, how did you do that? Why didn't you think? No, I don't. I just moved through. So here you are, yeah. you're in college and you went in, you brought up. I love, um, I love, uh, 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 the fact that you, you know, uh, you had 
your feet in the door close by by this dream that you was driven by to to move through life and you were able to come into that space so talk to us being around these people because i love the people with conversation and the arts and so forth their mind and their world is different joe talk to us mm. about some of that world because creativity is 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 expressed easily and it is it is uh, expected it is asked of you talk to us a little about that creative world being there and having to learn the art of communication mm. body language all of those things that you have to acquire as you are moving through in your growth and knowledge of, of a, uh, as an individual a young man within that space yeah i mean ken i will say that i've always been when i was especially when i was younger i was always a sponge for yeah. information um i i just loved learning things and and i will say learning things i'll say things learning things like what you know rocky won best picture in 1976 i'm talking <laughs> about like really goofy things not talking about like you know the american revolution I, although as i've gotten <laughs> older i've read more about, about history but as a kid i was a sponge for like entertainment and even sports knowledge yeah. and so the funny thing what happened ken when i first got hired uh at the radio station uh, I worked my way up. I was with the promotion department. Then the morning show, which is sort of like the flagship show of most radio stations. It's the it's the show that makes the most money. It's the most listened to. Yeah. It's 6 to 10 Eastern time in the morning. And I started with the show pre-social media internet. So this was like mm -hmm. 1990, 1996, 97, where basically like, if you tried to Google something, you couldn't because Google didn't exist. Yeah. Um, so there was the internet, but there wasn't mm -hmm. all this vast information <laughs> readily available. And so when I started with the show, I would work in what they called the phone pit. So I would answer phone calls from people who wanted to speak to the host. And then I would, I would write down what they wanted to say. And then I would tell the host who's on the phone. Yeah. But what happened was every time I was in the room, the host would be like, Hey, who's that one guy from that one thing who in that new movie? <laughs> And I would know the answer. Yeah. And so more and more, I would be in the situation where they kept calling me into the room. And then all of a sudden, they're like, you can't leave the room. <laughs> so I went from being in this dingy little windowless. It was basically a closet with like yeah. a chair and a desk to having to be in the room with these two hosts to answer any of their questions. And because of my sort of knowledge and breadth of of information that I had, it was useful to them. So I yes. always tell people, find something that you do that is useful for other people. I mean, yes. that's, that's the basic that's mindset of yeah. entrepreneurship, right? It's mm -hmm. like, find that problem, yeah. fix that problem. So for mm -hmm. me, the problem I fixed was, oh, I was this guy who was super knowledgeable about certain things that were important to this radio show. Yeah. And so because of that, my role kept growing and growing with the show but and the great thing of being part of surrounded with these people like one of the guys one of the hosts whose name is scott shannon who american listeners may know he's basically yeah. the father of top 40 radio in the 1980s in new york mm -hmm. and he created z100 which is still exists today one yeah. of the biggest radio stations on the planet he created that station he was one host mm -hmm. the other host was todd pettengill who for many years was a reporter and 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 yes. a host on the wwe and so these guys were uber uber talented and I, again, taking this sponge-like uh, status that I always carry with me, I just started learning everything I could from these guys. And it wasn't mm -hmm. like, 
hey, how did you do this? It was just like being present, being aware, and listening to everything that was going down. And, you know, even though these guys were all-time greats, they still made mistakes. And so to me, I was like, I took the good and I took the bad. And I was like, hmm, I like how they did this, but I don't like the way they did that. So all of this time, I was learning all of these skills from these folks. And one of the things, Ken, and I, I'm guilty as well as anyone's like, I really took my years there for granted. I yeah. was well paid, well compensated. I was a, a, a mini celebrity, so to speak, in, in yeah. the New York yeah. metropolitan area. But I didn't realize how good I had it until I, I left because mm-hmm. I had accumulated so many what they're called now soft skills. I didn't Mm -hmm. even know that was a thing. Now, apparently, that's a thing people (laughs) talk about, soft skills. But I had accumulated so much that I didn't realize that I did until I left. And then I started working with new people all from the the jump. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. So all of that stuff I learned back then, Mm -hmm. people I'm working with now have no idea what any of that stuff is. (laughs) So I was teaching them all the things that I learned. And that's sort of what led me to write the book, Ken, because it was like, oh, wait a minute. So this is just not normal. Like to me, I was like, oh, okay. The yeah, stuff yeah. I was doing in radio was like, oh, okay. Being able to communicate, have an interview with someone, that's easy, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently not. Apparently people <laughs> don't have these communication skills or these this ability to prepare for an interview or prepare for any kind of life interaction. But I was doing it because for over 20 years, for four hours a day, I was working with some of the best and brightest yeah. talent the radio has ever given. And then that was sort of what, what was like an epiphany for me after I left. I was like, wow, I actually, it wasn't just a job or something I yeah. loved. It was actually an educational experience that now I'm hoping to help other people with because I took it for granted for many years, but yeah. these are all skills that we all can use and need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You had mentioned something, Joe, and I want to um, circle back to that because I tell people this is the key if they understand what we are talking about. And that's why I want to rest here a little. That state of awareness that you talk about, it doesn't matter where you are in what degree, what um, industry, but the fact that you are in a state of awareness creates a that sponge um, receptor, if you will, where you're able to, to suck those things in even if you don't understand the fullness of it, but being in that state of awareness, Joe, um, makes you that sponge. Talk to us a little about that, to, to those that are listening, about the truly importance of this particular one thing, because I believe it is one of the pillars, if you will, of personal development that one has to understand the importance of this and how it plays a part in them um, gaining knowledge, understanding, and insight um, Mm. in wherever they are. Talk to us a little about this space right there, because I think it's important. Yeah, so Ken, the the name of my book is Good Listen. And to Mm -hmm. me, I just liked it because it was a a quick, pithy title. I like two-word titles. But you could interchange listen for awareness. and. And the listen piece and awareness piece, I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. And what, what I talk about in the book and what I talk to clients about with is being present 100% yeah. when you are involved in a one-on-one interaction. Mm-hmm. Because the way you create magic in a conversation 
is when you are able to be 100% invested in listening to whatever that person is saying. Yeah. And when it, when I, when I'm saying invested in it, I mean, while you're listening, you're also processing that information that will lead you to the next question mm-hmm. because the best interviewers in the world can, and you know, this, they're not the smartest. They're not the funniest. They're the best listeners because yeah. they're able to take these moments that happen and create magic moments. They're mm-hmm. not, it's not just a moment that's happening. It's, it, they're creating a magic moment because they're listening. They're yeah. so engaged that it doesn't matter what they thought they wanted to ask. What that person is giving them is then creating this moment. Like, Oh, wait a minute. You said that one thing. I wasn't expecting you to say that, but let's go there. Yeah. If you're not listening, you, those moments will go right past you. <laughs> one of yeah. the things I coach people on is when you're going to do an interview, never use the word interview in your brain. Like mm-hmm. for shorthand, it'll be like, okay, I'm going to do this podcast interview. Yeah. Don't think of it as an interview because to me, an interview is question, answer, question, answer, question, yeah. answer. That's no fun. Yeah. That a, a, rob- a bot can do that nowadays. Yeah. You want it to be a conversation. So yes. yes, you may want to prepare questions, but one, never prepare them in numerical order. Never mm-hmm. list your questions. One, two, three, four, five, six. Never yeah. do that because your brain, your mathematical side of your brain will think, Oh, okay. I asked question one. Now that they've answered question one, let me ask question two. But what your mathematical brain doesn't know is maybe the answer they gave you from question one ties in better with question number seven. So that's why if you're, if you, if you take it away from this, from this, from this uh, conversation we're having today, Ken, is when you're preparing questions for anything, and I'm not talking about folks who want to host a podcast, I'm talking about a job interview. When you're Mm -hmm. talking about giving someone a, uh, some sort of, you know, uh, what do they do? These, uh, uh, pure performance reviews. When yeah. you have, when you have any of these kind of situations, think about it in terms of a conversation where it's pieces of a puzzle that you're putting together, but yeah. you cannot put those pieces together before it happens. Yes. So that's why it's important to be prepared and be present. That's how you create magic moments. I absolutely 100% agree. That's why I wanted to walk you back there because I felt that they need to understand the importance of that. And uh, some people, uh, they don't understand the art of being present. They rush through things and miss the nuances that are passed within the conversation. I love that word. Um, and my questions usually, uh, I will have, like you said, I've never, ever, ever in all my life numbered my question because I understand the <laughs> the brain and how the brain works. Um, as you said, first question, second question. But I put my questions down and I let the conversation give birth to those things. And, and it always happens. So here's this yeah. young man within this beautiful space, all this energy, knowledge, wisdom, these men, uh, these pillars, if you will, um, because I know of them. I don't think you can be in and live in New York and not know of them. So I know some of their work and listening to the radios and all that stuff. David is one of my, David Lennon is one of my favorite persons to, to listen to. And even now with his beard, I love it. Yes. Um, and having the conversation. So here you are in the midst of all of this juicy stuff, man. And, um, you became a sponge unknowingly and then you began mm-hmm. to progress as you left. And you're here with all the youngins, as you said, uh, Joe, you're here with all the youngins 
and you're seeing them try to navigate within that space. And here is the, the Yoda. Okay, uh, Joe, here's Yoda begins to talk to these young, young bucks and you began to recognize, wait a minute, something happened to me back there. When you had that revelation, and I know you mentioned it briefly, you said, oh, and you began to think of putting the books. When that happened, how and where were you, um, Joe? I want to bring you back, uh, see if mm-hmm. we could lock into that memory as to it's usually a series of things. If you can remember some of those things that began to a- happen to you through a conversation that prompted you and alerted you that, wait a minute, I need to put this information that resides within, within me in a format by which I can then educate the youngins. Talk to me about some of those interactions. Yeah. So it was funny. Um, the company I work for now is called Forbes Books. And what we do is we produce podcasts and publish books for, for entrepreneurs and CEOs. So people who have been very successful in their world in many yeah. different industries from real estate to housing to law to medicine. And these were all very successful people and they are, are all like mostly type A personalities. Mm-hmm. And as I, and it was funny when I first got hired here, I was like, okay, this is going to be a very basic job for me. I'm, I'll, the skill set I have of being a radio producer of preparing and producing and editing and all that stuff. That's cool. And then I, as I started working with these clients, it was like, Oh, wait a minute. They, they don't know what a show open is. They don't know how, what show prep is. They don't know how to, to, to sort of like guide a conversation in a way that feels organic and authentic. And as I started doing that, I was like, Oh, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to tell them how yeah. to do these things. Mm-hmm. And I started doing it. And it was funny. I, I remember one client was like, wow, you know, when I signed up for this, I didn't know that you guys offered this. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if we did, but this is how I work. I yeah. have to do this. Like I, And I tell people when I produce a podcast, even though my name is not on the podcast, I take full ownership of it. I have, yeah. you know, it's again, this immigrant pride and work ethic of like, yep. whatever I do has to be a hundred percent. So as I was working with all of these clients and doing this and helping them become better, not only just podcasters, but better at communicating with other people, I started to speak to the powers that be here and we're a, we're a publishing company. And I said, Hey, and oh, and there's, and Ken, I don't know if you ever interviewed a comedian before, but when comedians speak to each other, they always pitch jokes and they'll say, is this a thing? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be like, Hey, what do you think? Is this a thing? And then a comedian will be like, yeah, it's a thing or it's not a thing. So I went to my, the, to the bosses here and I said, is this a thing? Is this like <laughs> all of the stuff I learn in radio that I'm teaching yeah. these people in podcast? Is this a thing? And they're like, yeah. That's a thing that mm. could be very helpful because to me, I was like, so these clients that I work with, they spend a lot of money with our company and I know most people can't afford that. So if yeah. I could put some of the knowledge that I've acquired in a book that people then could learn from, I think that's a win-win for everybody. And yeah, so yeah. over the last year, we we wrote the book and published it. And one of the things that I did with it, Ken, is so it's a lot of stories of me having celebrity interactions with people, but I didn't do it. It, for like name dropping purposes, these mm-hmm. were moments in my time that yeah. I learned from good and bad that mm-hmm. can help people in no matter what they're doing. So yeah. whether it's a run in with a Jennifer Aniston or Taylor Swift or Russell Crowe, these were all things that I learned from that I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to file that away 
yeah. and then use that. And so a lot of the stories I use in the book are stories that I would tell people when I was coaching and consulting them for the podcast. But it just turned out to be a great way to tell these stories of sort of like lessons, like little little mini fables, except they, mm-hmm. they're happening with like celebrities yeah. that people can latch on to. Like, oh, OK, it's not just me having a random conversation with someone. It's me having this conversation with this big celebrity. And this is what I learned from it. So yeah. that was important to me. And one of the re- things, too, Ken, when I was writing the book was I didn't want to write this as a how to be a podcaster book mm-hmm. because – to me, the word expert is one of those words that give me the creeps. Like anyone can be an expert about anything. There's no school for being an expert. You just, I mean, you watch television or you read something online. It'll be like X blank, blank expert. I'm like, what does that even mean? So to me, I was like, hey, listen, I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy who's done this for a long time. Yeah. Here's what I learned. And I think it's what you can learn from it. So if you want to be a podcaster, the book is good for you as well, because it will give you the Little some of the tricks of the trade, as they say, but also and mainly it offers tips to become better at communicating with other people. Because, Ken, as you know, we've become really bad at communicating with each other. You know, oh, yeah. now with technology, and I love technology. I'm the, I'll, yeah. I'm a big fan of sending a text to get a quick response about someone. Yeah. But when it's a nuanced, important, yes, something that's a weighty matter, that's yeah. where you. That's where the conversation and communication piece has to happen with one on one communication yes. with people and so that's part of that that's really the main thorough line of the book like these these skill sets sure that could be good for be if you want to be a podcaster but mainly it's skills and tricks and tips that i learned that will help you better at communicating with other human beings yeah we are losing the art of it Joe, the art of communication and i think um one of the conversations that i've had with people technology is excellent but it mm-hmm. is making the human um, less, um, if you will, dumb. Um, because yeah. I remember in being in New York and walking to a payphone, and I had hundreds of numbers in my head that I would <laughs> call numbers and stuff like that. I have problem remembering my own number right now, you know. And so, absolutely, um, it's called digital that, amnesia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is absolutely amazing what we have given up to. Um, you know, as far as how much we use our brains to technology so that we don't have to do any of those things. And um, it is really sad, especially when it comes to the conversation piece. I don't, I'll text, as you said, text to me is just for purposes of just updates. But Mm -hmm. when you're having any type of situation that uh, the conversation, you can lose that nuance in there the little breath, the space between the breath. All of that is information. That is a lot of uh, when you ask a question and there's that space in between, you know something is going on. All of those things you miss within a text and you will never get it and will never be afforded to you unless you have that face-to-face with that individual. So that yeah. book that you're yeah, talking can you about. Use the the key word there, what you just said, as I'm listening to you, the yeah. word nuance. Yes. Technology can do a lot of things. It cannot do nuance. Yes. Uh, for you, just go on Twitter and see yeah. someone make a statement that's clearly either ironic or hu- or a humorous statement. But because people can't read nuance on yeah. a tweet, half of the people will be like, "Oh my god, what do you mean by that?" And the other yeah. people will be like, "Oh, that's funny." Whereas <laughs> if that person said something in person, 
Yeah. That would not happen. So you can't do nuance in technology. It's, it's unfortunate. I mean, maybe one day they will. Maybe Elon Musk is working on that right now because yeah. he has trouble with nuance basically in person. <laughs> and on that. But, but maybe there's something we could do, but that's so important. And, and it's so hard to cut. And, you know, as much as emojis help, it's yeah. really, really hard to, ha- to, to sort of capture the spirit of a message. I was, I just, and it's so funny too, because I feel like, when you're speaking to someone, a lot of this stuff doesn't happen. I, I just bought like these chairs and it was like, it was, I don't know if you have you ever tried to buy bar stools lately, Ken? Yeah. They're like really hard to find. It's, I know it's kind of a random thing. So I found this store that sells bar stools and I, and I, and it was like, they were being shipped from Canada for some reason. I don't know. And so I was texting the person. I was like, Hey, just checking in to see about my bar stools. Mm-hmm. And she texts back and she goes, the bar stools are still on order. Just as I previously told you in, in the past, this, th- they will come in November and I will let you know when they arrive. Now, reading yeah. that text, Ken, I was like, man, what a, what a harsh <laughs> response. Like literally, like, yeah. I mean, th- it, it just was, came across as mean. Whereas yeah. in person, that mm-hmm. probably wouldn't come across as, as sort of like dickish, yes. for lack of mm-hmm. a better word. But in text, I was like, wow, that's, that's mean. Yeah. Like, as I told you before in the past, it will come in this. It's like, but, yeah. uh, but I'm texting you now. It, <laughs> regardless of what past conversation, I'm just checking in now to see if you have a step. And again, yeah. that, such a small microcosm of like what we're talking about in terms of yeah. like, maybe this person was it saying it in a, almost like a humorous or sort of slightly ironic mm-hmm. way, but it comes across as just this person being an, an a-hole. Yeah. You know, um, so that's what that's one of the things that nuance that we will never be able to capture in technology. Never, ever, because I believe that is a human thing. It is a human quality that is so sweet because I have I was a single dad with four um, four boys and uh, I watched them. God bless you. Uh, <laughs> I watched them, Joe, because I I. Uh, brought them up about the importance of a conversation, having, facing someone, interacting with that great exchange of energy is not, you're not able to do it through technology. You just can't. And I see them when girls and people text them and they're angry, like, I cannot stand this person because they refuse to talk. And I'm sitting there looking at them. And um, they would end relationships based on that one thing, Joe. And, and I, I look at them and, I, and I, I'm not upset or, you know, it's kind of something to watch. Because when you do have that interaction, I don't care what it is with whoever, the value of that conversation becomes something more than just text. The, there's a richness Joe, there's an exchange of energy that cannot be felt within the words on a phone, but it can fail. We felt when you and I are looking at each other, we are in the same energetic space. We are then able to have this rich and deeper conversation. She may have been having a, a rough day, but with you being in the present there, you would look at that and un- have an understanding of that type of response where you wouldn't be offended or anything like that. And because you are not there, she sounds like she was, it was a dick and that's how it yeah. sounded. And it'll yeah. always sound like that through the technical exchange. So you are, 
you had the opportunity to create this beautiful tool, and I think it is a beautiful tool, especially in our generation, the art. And I love the title, Good Listen. It is, um, that's rich stuff, man. So talk to me as to how did that come about, uh, Joe? Out of all this conversation that you've had all through your life, you're writing this piece of artwork and teaching and giving your wisdom, and you title it Good Listen. <laughs> I, I love the title. So talk to me a little about that, how yeah. you came about that. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, obviously, as we've been talking about the importance of listening, but the I the title of the book, to me, was I wanted to come up with almost like a double meaning. Mm-hmm. So one is Good Listen. And so, you know, when we talk about books, we're like, oh, that's a good read. Yeah. So to me, I was like, let's create a good listen. Mm-hmm. So that's, so that was the one, one piece of it. So whenever you're doing something, create something that's a good listen. It's a phrase that's really not even used. Like I know I, I was actually, when I was, I was, it's funny, you know, when you come up with a creative idea, you Google, like, did anyone ever do this before? Because it sounds, <laughs> because my thing is when you create something that sounds like it's existed before, that's a good idea. If yeah. it, it sounds something like, like, Oh, that, that someone had to have done that before. And nothing had ever been written. There's, and I I found like a couple Reddit posts where people were like, hey, can we start saying an, a podcast is a good listen, like a book's a good read? Yeah. And so I was like, to me, I was like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm looking for. Like, create this good listen. But also, I wanted to, the second part of it was like, good, listen. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 take yeah. those two words. Like, to me, I'm a big proponent. Like, there's one law that I strive for. For and I finish all my podcasts with it, and the law is the golden rule: yeah. treat others as you want to be treated. And so, to me, is like if you can be good and listen to someone, you can become a better person. Mm-hmm. The problem we have these days, and a technology plays a role in it, Ken, is that we are all siloed off into our own little tribes yeah. where we don't want to communicate with other people or even listen to what they have to say or know what they have to say. And so to me, it's the good being a good person and listening is sort of the root of like my book and my, and actually my being, it's like being a good person to me is being present and listening to other people and what they have to say. Uh, Going back to my mother, when, when we were growing up, my mother said to me and my brother was like, I don't care what you guys do for a living as long as you're good people. Yeah. My whole life, that's what my, my mom always said to me. Be a, I don't care what you do. You could have the worst job in the world, whatever one may call that is, or the best, highest paying job. If you're not a good person, to her, she felt like she failed. Yeah. So I, and that's uh, going forward for my entire life was like, just be a good person, listen to other people. And that's a lot of the problems we're having today. We're so 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 cut off from other people that are different from us that mm-hmm. we see them as like alien beings yeah um i'm a card carrying liberal from the new york city area ken and as a liberal it's almost part of our brand that we look down upon people that have crazy conspiracy theories yeah. so as a liberal when you see someone who believes in QAnon conspiracy theories we're supposed to automatically believe oh that person's a crazy person so, Ken, over the last couple of years, I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, which is basically like the joke, a the little blue dot in a big red state. Very yeah. conservative state, Bible belt with a couple pockets of liberal folks mm-hmm. like myself. 
And I was living in this apartment complex and in the complex parking lot was this big giant red truck that that was like the noisiest, loudest thing in the world. And it had the QAnon acronym on its windshield emblazoned. Yeah. Like, not like subtle, (laughs) like the big, huge QAnon. I think it's like uh, where we go, they go or something like that. It's like that that acronym like splayed across Mm -hmm. the the windshield. And and again, me being this card carrying liberal. Look at this guy. This guy's nuts. It's crazy. (laughs) The complex, Ken, has a pool. Yeah. And so I'm sitting by the pool one day with my wife. And here comes the guy who drives that truck around. Yeah. Sits next to me. And we talk for the next 45 minutes about like the most innocent trivial bullshit you could ever talk about with another person. Yeah. He was a good person. Yeah. Nice. We talked mm-hmm. about barbecuing our families <laughs> complaining about our wives. Yeah. But most people won't have that opportunity. Yeah. I walked away from being like, Hey, that guy believes in that stuff. Cool. But you know yeah. what? He's a good dude. Yeah. But yeah. the problem is we don't do that anymore, Ken. We don't want to have that conversation with that person who has different beliefs than us because they're different. We're right. They're wrong. Yeah. If we have more conversations like that where it's two people having a moment together that has nothing to do with their political or religious beliefs, that's how we connect to society yeah. because yeah. we're not going to change anyone. Yeah. My my thoughts and beliefs, I'm not going to make another person who's different from me believe that. So why yeah. bother? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Just yeah. get along. Be a yeah. good person. Listen. That's all. That's all we got to do. Yeah. But we're not doing that because of the technology piece that allows us yes. to be to be cordoned off from everyone else. I will only listen to get my news from this one place because that's the news I want to hear. Yeah. Because that other channel that's doing this kind of news, they're crazy people who are mm-hmm. backwards and they're racist or so-and-so and fill in yeah. the blank, whatever negative response. But because we do that, we just do not connect with other people. And that is that is a problem I hope to solve or be a part of the solution with writing this book and doing these interviews and talking to people. It's like, man, we just got to start talking to one another. Ken, yeah. we have come to a place where if you see the text come in that says, can we talk? Are those not the three <laughs> scariest words in human language right now? Think yes, about it, it Ken. Yeah. 30 years ago, if you, someone said, can we talk? You'd be like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. Now, when we see the phrase, can we talk? It's like, oh, boy. What oh, is yeah. this about? What do they want to talk about? What can we just talk about via text or email? We have to get away from that, Ken. Yeah. When someone says, can we talk? Do them a favor and talk. Yeah. I don't know how we are going to be able to um, manage that. Because I, I do have, because of my, what I do, Joe, talking and interviewing all those people, um, this piece about technology and what it's done to us, um, it's made us tribal and brutal in many ways. As you, you talked about this conversation that you had with that gentleman, um, it's taken away that. Um, and we get into these little... Uh, areas and you see all these little tribes that are formed Mm. and each one of the other tribes, there's no conversation. It's just hatred. Um, I remember watching uh, John Boehner when he did an interview and someone said to him about compromise and he said, compromise. 
He said, we don't talk with the enemy. And I looked at him and I said, wow, what are you doing in in the government in, in, as a part of government? Because the guys who designed that system was all about compromise. It was the art of conversation. Have you read these guys' um, speeches of what they re- uh, how they spoke back in the day? And that's what I believe in the... Um, the arena of, of the politicians, they've walked away from the original design. The original design was to have these teams and for these teams to present their case. And you have these people in the middle there that are listening to each and everyone's case. And they then will decide based on this um, argument, this presentation of their cases, they will vote for who they want. And we don't do that stuff because. Well, this- Ken, I think what we did here is we made politics sport. Yes. And the problem with that is somebody has sports, to win. And somebody has to lose. Yeah. Nowadays, that compromise can't happen, Ken, because yeah. if that happens, that person will be seen as a pariah in their party. You'll yes. see people like, again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to bash on Republicans, but you'll see Republicans yeah. vote outside of their party line and then they'll be censured. Yes. By their local Republican Party, because yes. like, wait a minute, you're not allowed to do that because that's not what we believe in. Yeah. And, and I'm sure this happens with Democrats and any yes. other political yes. affiliation. But the problem is now it's this win or loss thing where you cannot compromise because a compromise will be seen as a loss. Yes, and that to me is heartbreaking. Yes, that it that's is. That's where we are Same. now in politics, and we're not going to change that. But the no. thing is, that's fine. Out, I mean, as long as you're not a politician or work in politics, that's yeah. fine. But it's okay, and you use the word tribe and tribal, and I think it's a, there's an important distinction there, Ken, because yes. I think tribes are great. Mm-hmm. Find your tribe. I love it. Be part of a community. Yeah. Tribes are awesome, yeah. but don't be tribal. Yes. Don't be to the point where you want to just be with your tribe and not yeah. hang with and, and chill with other tribes. Yes. That's that's the wrong way to live. I'm I'm all about tribes. Like find that community that you connect with, that you have like beliefs. That's yep. awesome. Find that tribe, please, but don't be tribal and and don't and be afraid to hang with other tribes and speak yes. to them and see what they have to say, what their what their take on life is. So I think that's there's an important distinction there. The fact that we we we, sh- we all need to be part of it. We all need to be part of a community. Yes, but we sometimes are afraid to leave. Uh, like that little kid from New Jersey 25 years ago who was afraid to leave uh, the suburbs of the Garden State to go into Midtown Manhattan, the scary big bag city. Who I, You know, I, I'm a big fan of the sliding doors thing, you know, the old Gwyneth Paltrow movie, like what would have happened if yeah. I never did that? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if my life, I, my, I, I, well, I can be confident say like my life would not be where it is today if I didn't make that decision to take that, that scary yeah. train ride into Midtown Manhattan. And so... Um, I think we all sometimes have to get out of our comfort zone and do things that maybe they don't feel so great at mm-hmm. the beginning. But if we can do that and do it more often, yeah. that'll make us better people. That'll make us more well-rounded because now all of a sudden we're not just hanging with our tribe and getting our information from our tribe. We're getting our information and feelings from other people. Yes. And I think that's just a better way to live for all of us. I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, that is when I use those, the word tribe and tribal because tribe is necessary in order for growth. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, pivotal 
It is where you get your support. It is where you get your camaraderie, if you will, your strength, all of yep. those things. But when one becomes tribal, that's a different thing. Um, but this conversation, guys, you've been listening to us talk about a couple of things, and I wanted to bring them back to your attention. Uh, Joe talked about um, uh, present, being present. And we talked that we stopped there. We talked about living in that space. We talked about taking risk. We talked about uh, once you have discovered that gift that you dance in. And I tell people your gifts, you'll know it because you will be working in there 90 hours a day and you won't even know that you're in it. Um, mm. People are going to look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Aren't you tired? And you are getting stronger in uh, the hours doesn't seem to be enough. When you get to that space, you found it. And um, because that is that thing that will move you and bring you through. And then when you get there, you bring it into a format where you can now become a servant. And here, Joe has put it, I love that title. I swear I wish I had that. Um, <laughs> a beautiful title. And how you uh, explain it is perfect in the art of listening and how we ought to behave with each other as human beings while we occupy this place called Earth, man. It's beautiful. Um, and so I want to talk to you right now, um, Joe, as to how can they get to you and some of the things that are principles that you've put within the book, uh, just give them a little flavor and um, we will, uh, uh, you know, close it at there. I, and people, I want you guys to buy this book. The title, I'm jonesing on the title, man. I'm telling mm -hmm. you, uh, because I, I know what it is. I'm going to buy me a couple and, and give them to people. But I want you to... Uh, purchase this book because I feel that when you are buying your book from the author and you're sitting down with this author after you've purchased this book, you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. We talk about a conversation. You're having this interaction with them. Trust me, those words within those pages are alive and they have the capability of jumping off of those pages and landing within you and cause you to do things and change your life. And so when you are there with your one-on-one -on -one conversation, with your cup of coffee, tea, however you're doing it, and you are learning from him, I want you now to know how you can get to him if you have other things that you deem, I still need some more information. So talk to them as to how they can get yeah. to you and um, uh, get into your space, as they say. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ken. Uh, I will say it's funny. So my wife was basically my proofreader on this. And <laughs> it was, it, and, and as I was writing it, I said, to, she kept saying, Oh, can I read the book? Can I read the book? I'm like, Oh, wait till I'm done. And so once I finished the first draft, she must have read it like eight times. She was sick of the book by the time <laughs> th th we were ready to publish it. But every time she read it, she's like, you know, this sounds like you're speaking to me because the, because yeah. it's, it's, I'm basically, you know, I'm not a, as you can tell from this conversation, I'm yeah. not a PhD, highly educated. I'm coming to you from a person who knows how to communicate with other people. And so it's written in that way. So yeah. it's written in my voice. And, uh, 
And so, yeah, so my wife now is completely sick of the book because she's read it so many times. I was like, hey, be careful what you wish for. You did ask several times, when can I read the book? I'm like, all right, well, you're gonna and you're going to read the book a lot. Uh, so, yeah, so thank you for that. And um, the book is called Good Listen, like you mentioned. It's available basically wherever you buy books. There's soft cover. There's an ebook. There's also an audio book if you want me to read it to you. Yeah. Uh, you can find me online on, on Twitter is my main uh, social media platform. Also, Instagram, at Joe Partavilla. Feel free to drop me a DM, shoot me a message whenever. I, I'm happy to help anyone I can. And, Ken, you know, one of the things that I've always been, I've always been focused on, and that's gratitude. Like, I've always wanted yes. to make sure that I'm thankful for everything that I've got in life. Um, I told you earlier that, you know, for many years, I took for granted what I was doing, working at, at this radio station in New York. And I remember... Every once in a while, I would catch myself because I would, uh, my hours were, I would wake up every morning at three o'clock in the morning and I'd have to be in the office by five o'clock mm-hmm. in town Manhattan, do the show. And I remember there were many days, I would say 99% of the time, I'd be walking to work in the pitch black darkness. It was yeah. really, really dark. But New York, as you probably can tell <laughs> if you've ever been there or seen it, it's, it's pretty bright. Yeah. So I would walk from the parking garage. And walk over to the, it was just basically across the street to the, to the studios. And our studios were located, like I mentioned, in Penn Station. But if, for folks not familiar, the Penn Station is also attached to Madison Square Garden. Yeah. So I would look up and I'd be like, this is cool. I'd be, I, I would just say, I'd be like, this is so cool. Yeah. Like I get to work in the bill. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the floor where the Knicks play or the Rangers <laughs> or like Elton John plays, but like the idea that I'm like this, just like, regular person i'm no better than anybody else but i have this opportunity that every day i get to walk into work into the studio that's high above madison square garden in probably one of the greatest cities of the world Mm -hmm. and i was just like this is cool like gratitude is so important to me being thankful and grateful to everything we have you know, some people have more than others, but yeah. we have to be thankful for what we have. So uh, I want to show my gratitude and, and thank you, Ken, for uh, having me on the podcast and being able to share my story. And I think I, that's one thing that people should probably take away from this, you know, outside of like the being a better listener, better communicator. If we're more grateful for yeah. what we have and not what we don't have. Yes. We will all be better human beings because then we will have appreciation. It's, you know, it's like, it's the, it's the small things, you know, people talk about, well, that's the small, the small things that man, the small things make a big part of life. Yes. The small things is, you know, taking that walk with your dog, having that night with your wife, having, having, you know, just sitting around, just like being yourself with other people that you love and are surrounded by, man, if you're grateful for that, you've, you've already on, you've, your life's on second base. So I think that's the be key. Great. Be I think it's the key, Joe. Um, the one of the most powerful principles within the human development process is the space when one becomes grateful for everything. At that space, I tell people everything change. What do I mean? There's a wind change, the sound of the wind, the honking of a horn, the conversation with someone, the look at someone, the the food tastes different because you are in a different space of just the busyness. In that space of uh, gratefulness, life begins, I think. And I think if we don't do that, I remember I came out of corporate America, trained and 
with my suit running all over the place. And in my travels, I would pick up little rocks. I remember going to this, all these different ancient places and I'd pick up these little rocks. And um, I remember listening to someone and they said that they would carry uh, like rocks in their hands or pockets so that they can remember when they touch to be grateful. And I remember um, putting rocks in my pocket uh, from different locations that I was traveled in. I knew them because I would put all these rocks in my pocket. So, and through my day going crazy or whatever, and I feel this lump, I'd take it out and I'd be holding this in the midst of all the complaints and everything that I'm listening to. And I put myself in that state of gratefulness. And when I am there, the clarity becomes... Um, things became more clear. The conversation, the good listen became even more important. Uh, the things began and the answers were there because I placed myself in a state where I can hear, receive, be able to regurgitate um, what they they would say to me. Oh, man, that was, that was like wisdom. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you know, because I placed myself in a state where I was able to and the space of gracefulness and gratefulness and thankfulness is that space. And I'm glad that you you came out to that because it is, it is important. I don't care what you're going through, guys. I do not care what you're going through. I want you to stop and breathe and be grateful and thankful for it because you're alive. Uh, you're in a better state than many people on this planet. And so be grateful for it. Uh, Joe, I want to thank you so much for coming to Threads of Enlightenment, sir, and giving all of your insight, your wisdom, and making this space a beautiful uh, space. And those that have been listening to us, the book is Good Listen. I want you to go and get copies of it. Give it to friends. Holiday seasons are coming up. Um, give it to them. Christmas, all of it. Give it for Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're talking about that space of being uh, thankful and grateful. So get his book. And show him some love, get in touch with him so that you can gain more insight as you need them. Joe, again, thank you for coming, man. Thank you, Ken. Pleasure. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, we hope to continually help you to learn how to embrace moments of darkness because it is in the darkness that we learn how to develop and use our abilities to truly see those parts of ourselves often invisible to us in the light. It becomes your responsibility to navigate through all of your trials to find out who you truly are and begin your journey to loving yourself, which is possibly one of the most difficult things you will ever do in your life. To love yourself and to find the real you, but always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for coming by. Please subscribe. And if you can support us financially, we deeply appreciate it. Until next time, invite your family, friends, neighbors, anyone that you can. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Overcast, and many more.